Just a quick note before we get underway. This is the last episode for 2017. So make sure you subscribe to Love Canberra in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing when we return in 2018. And remember to tell a friend or leave a review if you've enjoyed listening this year. Okay, on to the show. Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. I've known Sylvia and Steve since 2010, the year I arrived in Canberra. One thing I hadn't known was how long they'd been together, which only came to light seven years later through a mutual friend. We caught up in May, four months after their 40th wedding anniversary. In speaking to them, I was curious about a number of things. I was interested to hear about the life Sylvia had led prior to meeting her. I was curious about how her relationship with Steve had developed and evolved. But mainly, I wanted to know if there were lessons I could glean about how you could make it to 40 years with someone and remain content. As we gathered around their dining table to chat about their decades-long relationship, we discussed how long we might need for the interview. I suggested about an hour, though I suspected that we might need longer. Sylvia replied, We can cover everything in an hour. Not much to say, really. Sylvia was 25 and Steve 21 when they came into each other's orbit. The place was England. The time, the 1970s, just before the reign of Margaret Thatcher. They worked in the same building and Steve had taken more than passing notice of Sylvia. I was a bit gorgeous. You were? What do you mean, were? (laughs) You are. Thank you, that's better. A colleague of Steve's intimated that Sylvia might be interested in him too, but he was wrong. We were sort of pushed together by a colleague, yeah. I don't know whether pushed is the right word. He sort of just reminded me she might be interested. I might be interested. I was not interested, was I not? Au contraire. Because it was so long ago, Neither of them have a clear memory of when they first started talking. Steve suspected, though, that it was... Probably in the corridor at work going for morning tea, because um, we had a, a canteen sort of room downstairs where people used to go for morning teas and line up uh, to get your bacon sandwiches and your vanilla slices and meat pies and things like that. And we probably got talking in the queue and I decided I'd invite her out. Sylvia didn't say yes to Steve. In fact, she says she was reluctant to engage with him beyond mere chit-chat. She would get into the reasons more later, but for now, 
She put her reluctance down to their height and age difference. Steve was six foot six and Sylvia was barely five foot five. She knew, however, a woman who was six foot tall who was interested in Steve. I suggested that he ask her out and he said you don't choose people to go out with on the basis of their height, we're not bookends. I remember you saying that. I remember saying that too, mm. it was true. Mm. You don't, yeah, so you're not meant to match. It's funny though, because I don't really notice the height difference between the two of you. Mm. So it's funny that you say that that was one of the reasons why mm. you thought that you wouldn't be suited to mm. Steve. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't notice a height difference. Well, I, I mean, I don't now, but I can't. I did then. I did mm. then. I was very much aware of it. Maybe because I was a bit slimmer and, and, you know, and I was conscious of being, you know, small and you were a lot bigger than me. Mm. But then I don't notice a height difference with anybody. Okay. That's because I'm always looking down on people. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, and, and mm. physically down on people. Not, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. We know what you mean. So Steve, when you asked Sylvia out, I think what you'd mentioned to me before was that you kept turning Steve down mm. initially. Mm. Why did you keep saying no? Oh, for those reasons, because I didn't think I didn't think would be suitable. I didn't think, you know, because I was four years older that it just wouldn't be suitable. And I had had other boyfriends, you know, so I just thought, you know, he can find somebody else. I'll find somebody else and we'll get on with it. Yeah. Okay. And why did you persist, though, in continuing to ask Sylvia out? I don't know. There was just something about her that attracted me to her. Apart from being gorgeous, I was no, nice. No, yes. I was yes. nice. Yes, I was friendly were. and nice. I was friendly and I was <laughs> nice. You I, were. And what do you say now? Um, you still are. Thank you. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> So you went to this pub that was quite far away for your first it date. Was a, it was more than a pub. It was a very posh country restaurant. Ah. Sort of, you know, top of the top of the line restaurant. Okay. Yeah. So mm. that's why you travelled so far to go mm. to this place. But I didn't particular. know where we were going when we set off. No, yeah. it probably yeah. took us about an hour to get it there. It did, yeah. yeah. Mm. Do you well, remember much about that first date? I remember ordering tomato soup and... Um, and I don't like tomato soup, but then I remembered order, ordering corn on the cob with whatever meat dish we had to follow and dribbling, getting all butter from the corn on the cob. You had that grey silk dress on. What grey silk dress? The one I wore when we got married? No, 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 that Another was cream. Oh, oh, I don't remember. No, you had a, you had a grey silk suit or oh, dress. Oh, yeah, a grey silk suit, that's right. I did, so. But I don't remember what I wore. That's okay. what you wore because you got butter on it. Okay, good. I remembered. And how was the date apart from that? Um, it was all right. It was all right. Well, at least we talked. Mm. It seems like there was enough potential there, though, for you to go out on further dates. Mm. But it was very slow, wasn't it? it wasn't mm. so. mm. You had some barriers to break down. Yes. You did. Yeah. Mm. The, the dating was slow. Mm. That's what I meant. What do you mean by he had some barriers to break oh, down? Oh, because about I was very, very concerned about the age, and um, there were things 
that well there was a lot of hostility your my mother mm. Mm. she was yeah. not impressed was she I don't know whether she would impressed it then I tell myself it wouldn't have mattered who you'd married but I don't think it would mm. no. No. what did your mother think of Sylvia um, she was an older woman and after uh, your money after my money yes mm. not that I had any but I did <laughs> yeah. That didn't impress her at all. No. Yeah. No, she was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Wasn't it? And still is. And still is. Yes, I agree. Mm. And you also you had three kids already by the time you met two two, two, girls. two kids. Yeah. yeah. And th and that was that was the other thing my mother yeah. had. Uh, you know, she's got two kids. You'll never be able to have kids of yes, your own. Right. Which mm. wasn't true, but proved you wrong. Yeah. Anyway, never mind. Mm. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it was one of the things that was scored against Sylvia. So mm. it didn't bother me in the slightest. And that was the first time you'd gone against whatever your mother said, because she was very controlling, wasn't she? Yeah, and still is manipulative. Mm. And his younger brother isn't married, and never married. And his mother and I thought, you know, probably never dared to go out with anybody. But she, she said it was because he now realises how unhappy his brother is in his marriage mm. and he doesn't want to make the same mistakes. But I do think that's her being nasty rather than... I don't think it's a true statement. I mm. just think he's been scared. Mm. Yeah. So you weren't intimidated at all? By the fact that Sylvia was older and already had two kids, you were 21 at the time. No, it didn't. Uh, it never occurred to me to be intimidated. I, I think I was too young and stupid to be intimidated. I was just. Mm. I think that's the thing, and I think that that was what concerned me. That it was, you know, to me it was a big, it's a big deal, taking on somebody with with two children. It's a big. Big step. So you were kind of protecting Steve from that in a way when you um, were supporting his advances. I'd I'd like to say that, but it was probably more protecting me and the kids, protecting okay. the kids because I was you know wasn't ready to put them into a relationship that wasn't going to work out. Yeah, I didn't know mm. how you'd get on. So you know you ne you didn't meet them for some time. No, no, true. Mm. And. Did they take well to Steve immediately, or did it take them some time? Uh, I think they, they, you had a car and seatbelts in, and they thought that was pretty flush. <laughs> um, seatbelts in the back, because at the, at the time in England, cars, you didn't have to, children didn't have to be in restaurant, well, nobody had to wear seatbelts. And, um, and they were only compulsory to be fitted in the front. Front, yes, and then yeah. not in the back, so they were pretty impressed with that. And it took them, took them places. It was good, um, and because I I lived with my mother and my younger brother, and you came round, um, ate yourself at home, mm. Mm. ate anything my mum cooked. She's not the best. Steve talked about knowing that he wanted to marry Sylvia not long after they started dating. There was one concrete moment which really brought that feeling to the fore, and it had to do with a kettle. Sylvie was ill, so I took her home at lunchtime and she decided to make a cup of tea or boil an egg or something and okay. put the kettle on. 
and then shortly after that the um, there was smoke coming out of the kitchen and we dashed in and she actually turned the stove on but then put the electric kettle on top of the stove and it was a stainless steel kettle with Bakelite feet and she'd burnt the Bakelite feet off. We sort of put the flames out and dumped the kettle in hot water, in cold water and made her, made her a cup of tea. And I left her and went back to work in the afternoon. Then that evening I went round and she not quite met me at the door brandishing the kettle but sort of proudly brandishing the kettle with three brand new feet on it. And, uh, I thought you put the feet. No, I didn't. You'd put them on. I didn't. And uh, I uh, sort of said, that's pretty impressive. And she said, oh, I had the spare feet in the drawer because I've done this before. Mm-hmm. And I thought anybody who has the foresight to buy a spare set of feet for the kettle because they could, they could get burnt off, you've got to marry that person. Mm. Wait, why do you have to marry a person because they've got that sort of... Because I probably needed somebody who would look after me that well. Yeah, she does. Organised. Organised, yeah. Yeah. Although silly as well at the same time. So many good qualities. Yeah. Yeah, not serious, definitely. You needed looking after? Still do. I'm a man. Yeah. In what ways do you need looking after? I'm not very organised. I, I need, I need lists and things like that because I tend to get sidetracked and I'll go into a room and ten minutes later come out not having done anything but not having been there for any length of time whatsoever and having forgotten what I went in there for. And so Sylvie calls it kidnapped by aliens. And do you think that you play this role for Steve? Um, it wasn't a role that I thought I'd have to take on uh, when we first, when we got married, and um, I didn't have an expectation that I would be the organizer. It was a role that was, didn't sit well with me because it wasn't something that I consciously did, uh, even though having two children. Um, and having to keep them organised, I didn't think that I have to carry out that role for Steve. And it took me a long while, a couple of years, to, to realise that if I didn't, then nothing would get done. So I had to be the planner. Um, and that's a role I've carried on doing. And even though I say to Steve, can you take on this thing? I do sometimes. You do sometimes, mm. but you, you respond better to directions rather than... And that's, that's his personality, that's the way it is. So. Mm. Mm. so I'm just speculating here, but it seems like, Steve, one of the qualities that you saw in Sylvia was how together she seemed to sort of have mm. her mm. life, perhaps, and how she seemed to be very kind of in charge of what she was doing and... Um, yeah, just very independent-minded, perhaps. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. whatever Sylvie set out to do, she did, and has since. If she decides to do something, she does it. She's organised, dedicated, and resourceful. <laughs> so you're making a gesture now. If your head getting 
Very big. Yes. <laughs> and what do you see in Steve, or what did you see in Steve then? Um, I saw someone who always shared the same type of humour. Um, I suppose now we can call it British humour, but we laughed at the same things. And he was good looking. And still he's tall. I mean, he's still reasonably good looking. Um, and a full head of hair and all his own teeth. Um, and we just, we got on. We, we, we got on really well. And he wasn't horrible to the children. So they, they took to you, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. What made Steve, though, someone who you wanted to marry or, you know, could enter a marriage with? I think it was um, the fact that he was stable and I knew that he, you know, this, this is the expression, he's a keeper. He, um, he wasn't somebody that I thought that uh, would disappear you know, in the short term, but he cared about me and that's, that's quite attractive to have somebody that cares about you. Yeah. So you felt that you needed that kind of stability? I did, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose in having two young kids, stability is a very important trait to have in a partner. Well, there was uh, a, a, some somebody I've been going out with who who um, would have preferred that I didn't come with two children, but there's not something you can do anything about. And um, and there were other things that that caused me to end that relationship, and and I wouldn't. I was for a time I was you know wary about dating again um, but as, as it, you know it turned out Steve wasn't anything like you know he, he wasn't a bad boy and I know they say women like bad boys but there's a time when you have to say now I need a grown-up It was snowing on the day Sylvia and Steve got married. It was January 15, 1977, and they did it at a registry office before going to a restaurant for the reception. Now all weddings have their share of challenges. In their case, the challenges came in the form of Steve's family. On the morning of the wedding, his father, Steve's dad, was meant to pick me up and the two girls and drive me to the registry office. They didn't turn up. Nobody came. I didn't have a phone because I'd moved into the house that we were going to be living after we got married. Steve was still living with his parents. Um, and then I walked up a hill um, in the snow with two little girls to the public phone box. In your wedding outfit? In my wedding outfit in the snow, to the and phone booth. Six inch platforms. Yeah, with very high heels, to the, to the phone box at the top of the street and rang him to see what was happening. Is the wedding off? What's happening? And um, I think you can check it from there because I wasn't in on that conversation. No. Well, yeah, basically my mother was trying to persuade me to pull out of the wedding and not marry Sylvia. And your dad refused to come and pick me up? Yeah, he was, he was yeah. We found out later, because my mother never told me, that in the weeks leading up to the wedding, Steve's dad 
drove Steve's grandmother to my mother's house, where I had been living, to persuade my mother to persuade me not to marry Steve. That be, that was she went once a week for about six weeks. I didn't find that out until you know only a few years ago. And um, when your mother real well, and your mother had also arranged that in case the wedding was going ahead, she was going to have a separate party. So there was the wedding reception and then a separate party to which I wasn't invited, <laughs> even though I was the bride. For her friends mm. and it was all very different wasn't it very it was, different kind of it was a different kind of a wedding yes but it happened mm. and and then his grandmother said to me that steve's mother was desperately unhappy about the wedding but it wouldn't be long before steve realized what a mistake he'd made in marrying me and he would regret it and go back to live with his parents again. So any minute now, after 40 years, he's going to realise. I knew there was something I was going to do. <laughs> Steve, how did that make you feel that your mother in particular, but I guess more of the family, thought this of Sylvia? I don't know. I, I just couldn't understand why they'd think that. Because I didn't see that at all, you know. I didn't mm -hmm. see their vision of her. It was totally on, and I suppose I tried to ignore it and mm. uh, pretend that wasn't their view. But you know, obviously it was, and, uh, and I probably didn't. No, I know I didn't go off at them. I didn't. I didn't probably still don't, haven't blasted them as much as I should have. And I think that's something I regret. And I, I suppose it's because I thought they'd come round and realise. But I don't think they ever did. And I don't think my no. mother ever has, no. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the faults that I've had, that they saw as faults with the fact that I was after his money. Well, that's not been true because I was the one that had money and not you. Mm, yeah. um, the facts that you would have to support me, again, that's not true because there were times when I've earned considerably more money than, than yeah. you have. I the one with a higher level of education. I was the one who was productive and um, had more savvy than you did about Definitely, yes. Yeah, yes. managing money. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what they didn't like, the fact that I was. I didn't I didn't need And and you were assertive. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. and were organised and all those other things mm. that I wasn't. Mm. And I, uh, your mum wasn't ready to let you go, that no. was the other thing. I mean, you were twenty three when we got married and she just wasn't ready to let you go. Mm. Mm. Still waiting for her little boy. She's still hanging on to your brother. Mm. I don't know what he'll do when your mum dies. He's just going to be lost. Yeah, he will. So, after you got married, you had your daughter Vashti two years later? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, <clears throat> so you'd already had two children. Mm -hmm. Why was it important for the two of you to have one together, have one of your own? 
it wasn't important for me um, and there were times when I worried about having another one because life was fairly easy with with the two older girls they didn't wear nappies they didn't wake up in the night we could go out we could um, do things with them and you know it wasn't particularly important that I had another one but Steve thought it was important for him I thought that your parents would like hmm. it wasn't a conscious decision but I thought oh look maybe if we had a had a baby that they might see that we were serious and um, but that there were there were many different reasons but I suppose it was one of those um if it happens it happens and if it doesn't it's okay if it doesn't but mm. I wouldn't say that I was desperate to have another child I mean it was just it, it's nice if it happens but mm. yeah and um, so it was delightful when we did even though I yeah. did get blamed because we had another girl and they all wanted a boy and I was so selfish in having a girl when everybody wanted a boy yeah. and I think that was a yeah, they didn't get on and still don't get on well with Vashti. Mm -hmm. When we got married, my mother became a de facto grandmother, which she did not like. But when we had Vashti, she was a real grandmother, which... She liked even less. She liked even less, mm. yeah. Because mm. at least before she could say, well, they're not really my grandkids. She mm. never. I don't think she ever wanted... Having grandkids really put the dampener on that, I think, for her. It was never bothered me. Mm. So then in terms of what you said there before, Sylvia, about how somewhere in the back of your mind you thought that having a child with Steve might validate the relationship mm. more with his mother, it sort of had the opposite effect? Yes. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it did. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think it also meant that from her point of view we were stuck with each other mm. and she was stuck with mm. Sylvia as well. Mm. So... Mm. Yeah. So why was it that you really wanted to have a child with Sylvia if you did really want that? I, I don't know, but maybe I thought, again, it would improve the relationship with my mother. Mm. Uh, but um, like I said I was young and stupid. Mm. I don't think, uh, not for a second, have we regretted no. Um, having Vashti and I did think that it would be um, the, the, the plan if we had a plan was to have had one after Vashti mm. but after her birth and, and we were advised because of um, you know medical issues not to have another another one mm. Did that sadden you to not ha be able to have another Yes child? it did mm. Yeah it did but then uh, uh, you know the, the consequences were you know, not attractive, and so we just made the decision not to have any more. Instead of having more biological children, Sylvia and Steve ended up fostering kids, 30 all in all. At one point, they had seven kids under their roof. I asked Sylvia why they decided to care for foster children. Well, partly because I'd wanted to have more children and because that there were children there out there who needed parents and it just seemed you know that's what you do what was the 
oldest and the youngest child that you cared for? Um, the youngest was um, about 18 months and the oldest would have been in her teens, 13, 14. 14 mm. Was it very trying to um, care for foster kids? I assume that they would have had their share of emotional They issues. did and, s and, some, and some were more challenging than others and we just had to deal with that and you know we, we did get training and support and one of the things they say is that sometimes the children can be very engaging you know you get the honeymoon period where they're really happy to be there sometimes they're not but I mean that's that's sort of standard behavior that they'd be really happy to be with you then they'll go through this awful stage awful awful stage because they're pushing you as hard as they can so that you will reject them because everybody rejects them and so they go through that and then you come out through the other end you know so mm. and that was that was a what you expect what you then. expect yeah. yeah yeah and usually yeah. what happens mm. yeah. it can be also physical hard work because well, as you said we had seven kids so one night <coughs> and often you don't get much notice of you know, so mm. two or three hours we're bringing mm. four kids to your house. Mm. Suddenly you've got to find four beds and four sets of... But that's where the, <laughs> my organisation <laughs> came where, in. Because I was in a network of foster parents, so I'd ring up and say, I've got some, bring somebody up on the list and say, I've got some kids coming, they've been picked up, one of them's not got any, many clothes, and, you know, there'd be a plastic bag delivered with clothes for that age group, and we always had spare sheets and mm. sleeping bags, and we'd always put them in so mm. yeah mm. so you took in kids then for very short periods of time maybe of less than a week yes yeah okay and then we had them built some for longer periods almost a year yeah yeah and in addition to providing them with accommodation somewhere safe to live for a while do you feel that you were able to help most of them beyond that I've tried to think about that and, and at best I think maybe but sometimes the children themselves just resented not being with their parents. They really felt that they, um, they wanted security and most of them either went back to their parents. A, a couple went into other institutions um, but most of them went back and again, particularly if the parents were um, involved in drugs, illicit drugs, I just felt that the children might not do as well as they could, and that was disappointing. Mm. But on the other hand, you, you know, that was the message again. Who are we to judge somebody by the way they parent? And um, and yet children have the parents that they have, or in most mm. cases, single parent, and. Um, it's not always what we think is in the best interest of the child for them to go back. Sylvia and Steve started fostering children after they had left England and moved to Australia. They moved in 1982 under the cloud of Margaret Thatcher. Maggie was then selling off defence production establishments like the one Steve worked for to private companies, which were taking their contracts and closing down the factories. Steve could see the signs and began looking for another job in his field, 
not just in England, but around the world. I figured by looking for a job before the place was sold, I was ahead of the, the other 2,499 people uh, in the job queue. And two years after I left, there were three people employed at that factory as caretakers. Uh, so I came to Australia and yeah, it, was, uh, it was a good move. How did you feel about the decision to move to Australia? Well, I had friends, two sets of friends who emigrated. They lived in Perth um, and they were very enthusiastic about um, the opportunities, um, particularly for, for children. They came from a similar part, um, well, they lived close by. I did like where we lived. We lived in a really beautiful village and I had a good circle of friends, regular contact with, with my parents. Sorry, with my mother. My father had died many years before. And two brothers. And, yeah, I, I wasn't happy to leave them. On the other hand, the timing was right because um, I wasn't working as I had um, a toddler. It seemed almost like an adventure because when Steve you know, pursued this job and um, the offer was made, we could have come out really for 24 hours. The, the deal was, you get on the plane, we pay all your expenses, you move out there, and if you don't like it, you can come back. How long do we have to stay? We get back on the plane straight away. So I thought, well, if we could just go out there for six months and see what we like, it would be an adventure for the kids, and then we could go back and maybe... We would, we would have had to have moved away from that area anyway, or Steve would have had to move into a different career. So we were mindful that we would have to move and life would change anyway, so why not make the change for the better? And things have got nasty with your mother mm. um, because she was very angry that we'd made the decision to move and she said that that was because of me because she knew that I had two friends who lived in Perth. But as you know, this side of Australia is a very long way away from Perth. So it's not something I can pop over. In fact, I've only been over there twice and, and they've been to Canberra. Well, only one set of friends once, and although the son of one of them came to visit separately. Um, so that wasn't the reason. In fact, I was less keen to come to Australia mm. than you were. Yeah. Um, but when we did make the decision to move to Australia, it was never going to be how long have we been here now? Oh, a long time. Mm. 1982, it's 30, 35, 35 years. I never thought we'd be here for 35 years. Mm. Mm. Sylvia and Steve now live in inner suburban Canberra. Earlier in their time in Australia, their living situation was much different. They had a house on a large parcel of land in Sydney and for a time, they tried to be self-sufficient. We were near Richmond, that was just outside there, and we had five acres and we had dairy goats that we would breed in, and, and then they were called um, they were called herd books, so we could show them. So we went to various shows, um, and we had ducks and a pig and a cow and horses. Ten sheep. Ten sheep, chickens vegetables that immediately died or the goats ate them and I, that's when I did a course at what was then called Hawkesbury Ag Ag Agricultural College and it's now called the University of Western Sydney. I did a course there in um, animal management so I could do basic things like 
um, desect the animals, dehorn them, um, dress wounds, and the vet would give me the um, material, the drugs, etc., dressings, and then I could stitch up an animal that had been. I had we had some animals that were attacked by dogs. Mm. Um, some goats and I was able to treat them otherwise it would have been putting a goat in a car driving some distance and that wasn't didn't always or the vet had to come out so it was once I'd done this course it then meant that I could work with the vet and it was cheaper and it was cheaper that was the main thing <laughs> when we sold that property it was a lot more than we could it was, we got a lot more money um, so we bought two properties with my financial management skills, that was my plan, that we buy something in the north of Canberra and something in the south of Canberra. So if one went up and the other one didn't, and we didn't like it, we could then move back to Sydney and afford to buy in the Sydney market again. So that was the plan. I always have a plan, I think. If I don't have a plan, I have a plan to have a plan. When they moved to Canberra in 1987, they first lived in a house that backed onto a nature reserve. In going from a large acreage to a much smaller parcel of land, this was an important part of their decision making. The kids were used to going off into the mm, on into, their bikes, and on their bikes into the bush, mm. and uh, Sylvia was also used to shouting them for dinner. And I thought mm. we need somewhere for her to shout, otherwise mm. it will echo off all the canyon walls. Mm. She was quite loud. <laughs> With three children of her own, 30-some foster kids over the years, and time spent as a stay-at-home mother, I was surprised to learn that Sylvia doesn't see herself as a domestic goddess. No, definitely not. I always found a reason not to do housework. I was either not at home, um, because I, um, I will always go outside and find things to do or invite people around and do things. I like eating. Cooking is, some, is it's something you have to do, but it's not something, you know, if somebody said, I can't wait to get home and cook dinner, I can't imagine why anybody would do that. No, why would you want to? Why do you enjoy cooking? She's better at chopping up vegetables than I am and got more patience and getting them consistent sizings or I just want to mm. throw things in a bowl and mm. let it cook itself. So are you the cook of the household then, Steve? Oh God, no. No, I'm even worse than Sylvia. Well, he does, he has his, he has his signature dishes and he's the shopper. Yeah, I do the I, I'm not very good at shopping because I will walk around and see something and then come out with that thing, but nothing that you could make a meal with. And I tend to get carried away and start singing and dancing in the aisles because it drives me crazy. Mm. Um, yes. And shopping online doesn't work because um, I forget things on the list. Whereas Steve's happy to take a shopping list and... Mm. So it sounds like Steve's more organised in that way. I have to write the list though. Don't forget, I have to write the shopping list. Yeah. But he's, he's the shopper. <coughs> And we have tried shopping together, and I don't go the right way down the aisles. And that's, a f and I take longer. It lo takes longer. It, it does. It takes a lot longer. Mm. Mainly, I suppose it's possibly because I'm 
mathematical and he's, he's before what, they had the unit pricing I could do that in oh yes head. and that was the thing he would drive him bonkers because he'd say it's better to buy two 500 gram packets of whatever it is cornflakes and a 750 gram packet of cornflakes because there's so many and it works out and I'd be going I don't care we just need cornflakes so even though you don't enjoy cooking um, you did used to prepare lunches for Steve yes yes I still do and oh no lunches are different and and I'm great with the leftovers and I once took a photograph of the inside of the fridge opened the fridge door took a photograph and then put got it developed and put it on the outside of the fridge because I had hungry girls coming home from school and opening the fridge door and standing there and looking at it and I would to see what was inside it and I would say well here's a picture you know what there's going to be there's going to be milk there's going to be cheese there's going to be eggs there's going to be whatever it is it's never going to be filled with um, leftover KFC or pizza or cans of coke or whatever it is you think is going to be in the fridge it's not going to be there here it is the photograph because people will come around why have you got a photograph of the inside of your fridge on the outside of the fridge and I have to tell them this story I said they have this dream they're going to find all this stuff in the fridge but they're always disappointed mm. It's not going to be there. So I brought up making lunches because you told me this wonderful story last time yes. about what happened one well, the, time when you complained yeah. about the lunches you were eating. I'd had um, several days of lunches which seemed to be, cheese I can't remember what it was, but it was probably cheese and chutney for four days and I was mm. a bit fed up with them. So I did complain that can I have something other than cheese on my sandwiches? So mm. Sylvia dutifully gave me the um, sandwiches the following day. I took them to work and was lunchtime approached. I opened my sandwiches to find a neatly cut stack of newspaper two and a half <laughs> inches high uh, and no actual sandwiches. Um, <clears throat> that wouldn't have been a problem had that not been the day that for some reason uh, it must have been a bank holiday and there were no shops open, no takeaways open, no pubs open and our canteen was closed. Uh, so I went home hungry, very and then, hungry and, then, and apologetic. And then, then the other time when he said his sandwiches were boring and the kids have plastic toys and I would put little plastic things inside. I washed them first and he once got a plastic camel inside a sandwich and he nearly broke a tooth. Mm, definitely, yes. As I said, life's not boring. We adjourned for lunch not long after our discussion of Sylvia's booby trap sandwiches. Before lunch got underway though, Sylvia and Steve showed me a framed photo from their wedding. And there's Steve with his uh, great head of hair. Yes. Yes. Scary though. It is scary. Yeah. And his own teeth. But I've still got most of his own teeth. Most of them. And that scary tie. That scary tie. <laughs> but not as bad as that suit that your uncle wore. No, no, the royal blue one. The royal blue one. And that's very fashionable these days, isn't it? It wasn't then. <laughs> we can show you that. We'll probably show you that photograph too. <laughs> that's Steve's mother. That's the mother. That's the woman. And that's the, su that's the suit. I love that jacket that you're wearing. Yes, it was nice. And those are the things that the kids wore to keep them keep them warm. So where's the photograph of... Where's the snow? Where's the snow? Maybe there wasn't snow. 
There was it. Well, it, yeah, but this was the car park. We both guys taking him. Yes, that's my mum and that's my elder brother. That was a, that was a fashion then. What was what are these? What's that other photograph? Oh, it's another wedding thing. Oh, whose wedding is it? Ours. That's not mine. Is it not? No, that's... Oh, no. That's not me. Oh, it must be Gary's and... Yeah. The girls are wearing... I've not got my right glasses on to see that. Yeah. And there's another man in a royal blue suit. That's the the same man. Same man. Same suit. suit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's Gary and Sheila. After lunch, we return to the dining room to talk some more. As I mentioned in the opening, Sylvia and Steve had their 40th wedding anniversary in January this year. They were meant to go out to lunch together and then enjoy a party that one of her daughters had organised. Instead, the party was postponed because Sylvia fell ill, and instead of partying, she spent the day in bed. Did you do anything to celebrate just the two of you? Um... Well, it would have been the lunch, I suppose, mm. but... <clears throat> that would have been the lunch, but... No. but no, I suppose once it got past that, we didn't. <laughs> no, that was, that was it. That was the plan that we'd go out and have lunch, and then we'd go out for cocktails and canapes. But no, we didn't. That was it. I just spent the day in bed the following mm. day, and then the next day. Yeah, probably because you were ill for mm. a few days. We, mm. We'd forgotten about it more than anything else mm. at the time. It's just another day, isn't it? Your 40th wedding anniversary. Wait till the 50th. So you don't think that it was a big deal that, you know, you've been married for 40 years? Do you, do you see it as being an achievement of some sort? Not really. No, I don't. I mean, I know lots of people um, uh, have milestones. Um, we did something for our 30th, didn't we? We went to pat it. We won that prize to go and... Pat oh, yeah, Pat a a when I said we're going to pat a cheetah, people thought that was a place, maybe <sighs> South America, but it was actually a, a double pass to go to the, we won it in a raffle, to go to the um, uh, National Zoo and Aquarium and get in the cage with a cheetah. But January, after lunch, they're pretty sleepy animals, so it's not dangerous at all. But our family came and witnessed us going in and nobody got mauled to pieces. I think that was... That we were looking for a bit of excitement, mm. but it didn't happen. And then we did something else that night, probably our dinner or something for our thirtieth. Mm. We did something for our twenty fifth. We had a proper, proper, mm. proper cake, twenty um, mm. iced cake and everything, and a crowd of people out the back. I'm sure there would have been a cake at the at the party that was organised for you. Oh, yes, there was. Mm. Yeah, there was cake. Yeah, but no, I, I, you know, you wouldn't stay together. Just for the sake of having an anniversary cake, or do you stay together? Because either there's no reason to not stay together, or because you want to be together. Mm. And I think that was the other d- decision that I'd made when um, I married Steve, because I knew how devastating it was getting divorced from my first husband, especially for the children. And I just thought, I'm not going to do this again. So for Mary Steve, that's it. Uh, I'm staying married. So you mentioned those two reasons. Which one has it turned out to be? Both. <laughs> Both. No reason to leave or and reasons to stay. I suppose we're better off together than 
Apart, Fill apart. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think. You know. I. I. And I think when people talk about um, relationships and and life in general, it's life in general is is like there's a straight line running. This is a straight line, and in any life, in any relationship, you have highs, and then you come back down to the normal, whatever normal is, and then you have lows, and then you come back up. But I think if most of the time you're staying on this line, which is normal, I tend to call it contentment. I think if most of the time you're content and then you have bursts of happiness, joy, something marvellous happens and then you get back to here and then something dreadful happens and you go down to here and it's most of the time and then you just have to remember when you are in the pits that it will get back up to here. But when you do have these highs, then... You don't have to think, oh, I'm going to go back down to you. Because this is good. This line is good. And it's it's almost like this friend of mine um, says that you should, you should you know, we, we have champagne to celebrate when, you know, our achievements, our successes, something wonderful happening. She said, and you shouldn't just keep champagne for those occasions. You should have champagne for these occasions because when you have nothing to celebrate, that's when you need to celebrate. Because that's when you want the champagne. You need the champagne to sort of recognise the fact that life is going to carry on and it will get better. And no matter what it is, no matter how dreadful the prospect is, there is always that hope. And I think most of us have that hope. Mm. So it seems to me like the two of you have been quite happily married for the past mm. 40 years. Um, or at least, you know, in the time that I've known you, you seem to be quite happy together. What do you think underlies that? How do you think that you've managed to maintain such a good relationship? I think by recognising that we are different creatures mm. and do things in different ways and having different expectations. I've got different expectations of what Steve will do and acknowledging that. And sometimes I'll have an expectation that he will do something and then he does something different and I go, oh, how come he's doing that when it's meant to be doing this? Or... Uh, how come he's not responding though so, you know I'll go I don't know I'd have a medical appointment that's quite important to me and Steve doesn't ask me about it and then I can be hurt but he doesn't understand um, why I want him to remember and then ask me how he is so I have an expectation of, of him um, that he doesn't meet um, so it is about expectations and recognizing them that they're my expectations and the other thing that I think is important is recognising that I can't make him happy. He makes himself happy. I can do things to avoid making him deliberately unhappy, but I can't say, oh, Steve, isn't this wonderful? Why aren't you happy? Because you can't make people happy. They have to make themselves happy. So you don't think that you can do things to make Steve happy? I mean, you know what he enjoys, you know you know the things that he derives gets happiness from mm. so you can't kind of create those conditions i think to... we t i think i'm talking about big things um and i've thought things like oh if he gets a new car he'll be happy if he gets a new job he'll be happy if we buy a new house he'll be happy if we go on holiday he'll be happy er than he is but because he has different interpretations of what he wants to make him happy i can't suddenly make a decision that doing this particular thing will cause steve to be happy he has to choose to be happy mm -hmm. in the same way that he can do something for me and if it's not um, what I need at that time then it 
doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go from down here to up there. I have to make that decision. Yeah. You can't make somebody else happy. We can't. We can make somebody feel unhappy, but we can't make them happy. That's beyond our control. We don't have that power. What do you think of that, Steve? I think it's true, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. When I'm down, mm. yeah, there's, sometimes there's absolutely nothing will make me happy because, mm. you know, it's almost like I don't want to be. And it's all your fault or mm. somebody's fault or it's not mine. It's somebody else's fault and somebody else should fix it, but nobody can. And she's right, I'm the only person who can fix things. If I'm, if I'm not happy, I'm the only person who can make myself happy. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes when Sylvie's down, there's nothing. But the other thing that goes with that is that, and, and I would say I'm more optimistic than Steve is. Mm. Um, I, I think that things will work out and that I've got to, I, you know, Steve will, you know, if we go anywhere in the car, I will, I will know there'll always be a parking space. Where Steve will say, there won't be a parking space, we'll be 10 minutes late and we won't be able to get in. And I'm going, they will, they will, they will, they will, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but I think if somebody is positive and somebody is willing to be happy and looks after making themselves happy, that will impact on how Steve is. Um, because if I was always miserable all the time, then it would feed into his pessimism so yeah. we balance each other out by having that yin and the yang that yeah I must admit I do tend to be more pessimistic than solely yeah mm. and uh, I do try not to be but I think you enjoy it you know you always are we're never going to find it we're never going to get there we're never and it's yes it will happen have the two of you always been this way have you always been the more optimistic one and Steve have you always been quite grumpy even when you first started going out mm. or have you yeah. sort of grown into that I probably I probably always have been but yeah you've grown grumpier as you've I've got grown older. grumpy as I'm older yeah mm. yeah probably yes sorry no so I mean that's just the way it is that's who you are and uh, you know there's no way I can't change the way he is and I quite like being the optimistic one because the fact that I'm optimistic I can say I can cope with the way Steve is and I can do things that make me happy and if he doesn't if he chooses not to participate in what makes me happy then that's it I'll do it by myself so I do I've got I have friends that I can go out with and I can go to movies and if Steve wants to stay here and be miserable then he can do that too or stay here and iron he can do that too I don't, don't always stay here being miserable. No, you don't. You find things that you want to do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing. We have different interests. You know, Steve will do Sudoku and I will happily do um, something else. Mm -hmm. Do you do a lot of things apart? Uh, probably 50-50 apart, yeah. Yeah, the one, we've got things that we, we like in common. We both like crime fiction, so we can read and um, watch crime fiction on TV or at the movies. We play board games, especially Scrabble. I'm not good at chess. Steve likes chess, we need to get somebody else. Mm. Steve likes control. He likes to know that things happen in a, in a predictive way, whereas I will do something for six weeks and then change, not what to do it anymore. 
which can be frustrating for him. Mm. Stephen likes the same breakfast every day at the same time. Most say that I choose not to have breakfast, and if I choose to have breakfast, it'll be different than I had the last time I had breakfast. And it's not deliberate, it's just that I get bored very easily doing the same thing. Steve likes routine, I like disorder and chaos. Thrive on it. Mm. And so even though you like predictability and um, order, I guess, um, you do like the fact that you'll never be bored around Sylvia. Yes, yes. doesn't sound right, but it is one of the things that I like about Sylvia. And maybe, maybe because I know I'm boring and predictable. Yes. And people who know you, your work colleagues, um, have commented on the fact that they didn't think that you'd be married to somebody like <laughs> <laughs> Because. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. I don't deliberately set out to be outrageous or controversial. Or she just is. It's just sometimes. It's like the singing and dancing in the aisles at the supermarket. I just get bored walking up and down supermarkets. And Steve likes that order. Mm. You don't find Steve boring though, do you? Yes. Oh, what I find boring, what I what I used to find boring initially, or no, no boring isn't the right word, but um, surprising was um, Steve, Steve, if I asked Steve to do something or I say, well, where are we going to go tonight or what, where should we go for lunch? He'll say, I don't know, you choose. And that was great initially, but then I go, that means I've got to always make the decisions and sometimes I don't want to make the decisions and sometimes I don't know what to have for dinner. And then I decided that, I just wouldn't make anything for dinner. I just wouldn't cook. And then what would you have for dinner? Um, beans on toast, cheese on toast. Do those and times bother you? No. No. Not in the slightest. And and I was quite upfront when we were fostering. I never held anything back because we have they have to interview you and, and my my children separately. And they said, What time do you eat dinner? And I said, any time between five o'clock and midnight. And they said, oh, why? I said, well, it depends what else is going on. And they said, well, what kind of meals do you have? I said, well, it could be beans on toast or it could be a three-course banquet because it depends what I'm doing. And they said, oh, that's okay. So that was acceptable. There's a condition called empty nest syndrome where parents feel bereaved when their last child leaves home. Not having children around diminishes their sense of purpose and, in the case of couples, can leave them feeling very exposed to one another, free of distractions. I was curious whether Sylvia and Steve experienced this, but when I asked, they seemed baffled by the idea more than anything. I don't remember that. Missed it that day. Because there's even something to do. It's not, you know, it's not that suddenly... Mm. Um, I think it might be different if they just get up one day so it goes, you know, maybe when you left your parents' house, that was very different because you've been there every day yeah. until our wedding day and then you moved out and that would have been different. Right, yeah. But then Andrew was there. But it must be very different when the last child moves out and there's no continuity, is there? No. Yeah. That's true. But I don't think there ever was 
Well, there was a day when they obviously there was nobody left at home, but I don't remember it. And I don't remember thinking, now what do we do? I don't ever no. remember thinking that, an empty nest, no. So you didn't have to um, confront a situation of, oh great, well now I'll just have to deal with Steve all by myself and away Well, that might kids. happen when he retires, when we're both at home all the time. And, um, you know, it's, it's every day is a weekend. And that might be different. Mm. But that's all right, I'll go out, I'll send, I'll send him out. <laughs> How have the two of you managed to not tire of each other's company and presence after so long together? I think we have. I think we. I think there are times when we get fed up of seeing the same person and fed up of listening to the same story and fed up of whatever mannerisms. I think you do. I think it would be hard not to. You know, mm. you think if he does that one more time, I'm going to rip his head off. And I think those are things that you just have to accept. You see, being perfect, you can imagine it would be very trying to live with somebody who has imperfections. But I have a sense of humour, and I think that's how I cope with it, by saying, by being up front and saying, you know, if you keep kicking your leg, whatever you do while you're watching television, I'm going to have to come around and tie your feet together or something like that. Mm. Um, and there are other people who wouldn't bother. I mean, but, you know, we all have to accept that we've got foibles and... Sadly, even I am not perfect. I mean, I, I, I lie to you. I have my imperfections, and you know, just have to do the best we can. Just recognize that people are different. No two people can ever be the same, and and can ever be everything for the other person. And this is why I think, you know, I need friends outside to um, and spend. I spend time with my with my grown up kids and grandchildren and friends, and um, have different conversations with them that I possibly would have with Steve. Mm. Um, and they would have different partners with me than they have, you know, different conversations with me than they'd have with other people. I just think we need other people. You don't have as active of a social life, do you, Steve? No, no. Um, but I don't think I ever had. No, I didn't. Never had. So I can understand what Sylvie's saying, and sometimes I think yes, I could, I could do that. But most of the time, I don't feel mm. the need. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm quite happy with myself and with Sylvia. But having said that, when because um, I'm, you know, I organise outings with couples with other people, and then when we go out, Steve will quite happily engage in conversations with the other people and 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 have a good time, whatever we're doing. But he wouldn't say, "Let's go out with so and so," or "Let's invite so and so around." I'm the one who does that, and he enjoys it, but. He also yeah. likes spending time by himself. He just doesn't want to, chooses not to be the one who um, yeah. and, and initiates it. Yeah, and some, t you know, some nights in the week I, I come home and I think, gee, nowhere to go tonight. That's Nobody's great. Coming around. Nobody's coming around. I can sit down and yeah. just do what I want. And, and that's great. I find it interesting for people who aren't really people per people, but there is just that one person, such as their partner, who whose company they do enjoy, um, you know. I didn't say I enjoyed her company. <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do. Yeah, but, but how there can be just that one person who you do enjoy having around, but you don't mm. really like, you know, many other people. Mm. I, well, I, I wonder how irritating it would be, though, if, I don't know, 
if Steve was like me, how yeah. that w- how that would work if we always had to negotiate something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose there's got to be one person who who says, well, you want to go and see this movie and I want to go and do whatever it is with my friend. I mean, it must work because there are people like that, but whereas you just you just wait for me to say, oh, we're going to the movies on Thursday night to see whatever that movie is about the Raj, ending of the Raj, the Vice. Oh, I didn't know I was going to that one. Well, I haven't found anybody else to go oh. with, so you might have to. That's okay. I've got two tickets, so you might have to. But you won't mind, would you? No. I think it might be a little bit like Downton Abbey, so you probably wouldn't enjoy it. So if I can find somebody else to go, then I will. Yeah. Mm. I suppose that's it. I don't don't mind. You don't mind. And he's been with me to Egyptian poetry and Irish poetry and and had a good time. And and this is it. I usually enjoy myself. Mm. I think the only exception was Mm. going to see the piano. And you fell asleep. I fell asleep. Yeah, it was Mm. problem solved. I guess the flip side of um, potentially, you know, becoming bored with someone having spent so long with them, Mm. I think the flip side would be the comfort of that familiarity Mm. of a person. Do the two of you feel that? Well, Mm. that shared history, that we can can Mm. remember things, yeah, or not remember the same thing or remember it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we were playing a game with somebody in... It was one of these where you had to guess the word, you know, it's sort of, I don't know whether it was... Oh, no, taboo. No, taboo or something like that. And the clues Sylvia and I were giving us were nothing related to what was on the card, but, but she got remember, the answer. And I, and I would say, uh, if I... If, because of that shirt. If the answer was France, I would just say where we spent the aunt's 10th birthday, and he would know. Because you're not supposed to say the word, of, but yes, we spent it in France, and, and we didn't know where we about in France we were, so... If I just said Leanne's tenth birthday, you would know where we were, or mm. something like that. Yeah, because it's a shared history. Isn't shared it? history. So you've known each other for a very long time and been together for a very long mm. time. Are there still things, new things that you are discovering about each other? Things that surprise you about the other? I didn't know he didn't like mayonnaise until quite recently. Well, I thought you'd always know. Why? How? I'd never eaten it. I know, but I had never noticed that you'd never eaten mayonnaise. And there was something else you said you didn't like, and I, I don't know, it was a food <coughs> item or something else. Mm, can't remember. Yeah, I don't know whether there's anything. I'm, I'm probably not observant enough to find out, to notice mm. things about Sylvia. I've got good at spotting her haircuts. No, you haven't. You're not good. Oh, okay. I've gone get my my hair cut and I've got in the car and gone home and you've not said anything. That's because it looks good. Oh. It doesn't look any... It looks really natural. It doesn't look any different, but it looks looks good. I'll let you have that one. Okay. Mm. Are there still things that you want to do together that you haven't done before? Who knows? When we retire, we might do no, things. Yeah. I mean, neither of us have a a great urge to do the grey nomad thing. I don't want to. Do, no, I said that because I'm. You know, if, by the time you buy the Winnie Bago and put petrol in it and pay parking fees, you might as well fly somewhere and stay. You know, somewhere with an ensuite. Mm. You know, and travel around for four weeks, then then come back and then go somewhere else. But 
now being on the road and people say you can go on the road and you can meet the same people at the next camping spot I just think why would anybody want to do that not something that appeals but we might no. do that and and the idea of sleeping in a tent yeah. there's yeah there's places I want to visit and um, I'd like to learn how to um, roller skate and I would encourage Steve to take up, pursue that hobby too has she mentioned this to you before Roller skating, yes, I think she. she I got some boots. You got some roller skating boots, yes, yes. But I, th I thought you yet. could roller skate, but you'd not actually got them on. I, can't, I could, but yeah. I haven't done it for about fifty oh, years. Right. Yeah, well, I must admit, I'm sort of nervous about. It. Well, I don't know why, because I could roller skate, but the last time I did, I broke my ankle. No, you didn't. You did not break your ankle. You told me you did it. Doing something else? No, roller skating. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I broke my ankle and broke a leg and broke. then they broke the other leg, just tripping over blades of grass. So I don't mm. think roller skates would necessarily mean that I'd break anything. Probably would. But, you know, live dangerously. Live on the edge. Roller skate. How far are the two of you from retirement? I could go any time now if I wanted to. But people keep offering me work and money and I'm a weak woman. Mm. I'll stop when I get bored. I'm not bored yet. Mm. I'm probably another six years away, maybe, until or until I get bored, I suppose. Mm. But uh, no, I'm I'm enjoying mostly yeah. enjoying work. Mm. <laughs> Has it been a good forty years? together being married hmm. overall yeah. yeah yeah I mean there are times and I, I defy any couple to say that there are times when they just think ouch you know I've reached this stage in my life when I could have been somebody could have had something could have done something and you think I wish I hadn't done what I've done um, but then most of the time life just happens and I don't think we've had a bad life we haven't had lots of things no. that have been awful lots of things and I don't measure um, happiness in terms of possessions or money or whatever it's more social things that mm. I like mm. and I don't think that's been bad I sometimes wish that we hadn't left England. I, you know, I do miss friends in England, and, and now I've just got the one brother, and Mum died, and I wish I'd had that connection. But um, I, I like it here, and yeah, don't want to go back. Yeah, I don't miss my mother. My dad died a few years ago, but. I don't really miss my mother and my brother. He's all right, mm. but I don't really miss him. Well, you we, don't. We don't. You don't we're don't, not much in contact. We anyway. don't. You know, it's it's a bit. Steve, my younger brother and I have a very close relationship, but you don't have a close relationship no. with your brother. No, I send him an email and what twice a, once a year, once or twice a year, years. and he doesn't reply. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if I speak to my mother and he's there, he'll come on the phone. And he's mm. 
it's not that he, we don't get on or anything. It's just that we don't don't talk to each other. I suppose mm. it's a, don't have much contact. Mm. But it's been a good forty years together, though. For us, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Forty years. Do you see things continuing as they have? Who knows? Mm. As long as he behaves himself, yeah. Yeah, but who mm. knows? I think that's the thing. You just have to say, you can't ever predict what's going to happen in the future. You just have to keep working at it. And and people say you have to work at a relationship, and I guess you do. You just have to, and you and you can't expect to be happy, happy, happy all the time. You just there are going to be things that are going to piss you off about the other person, and they could be really trivial things. And the way you know you lived before you moved in with that person, you're going to have to change. And it's about yeah, changing continually, changing, and accepting as well, mm. accepting that things will be different mm. because people don't do exactly mm. the same as you mm. even if you want them to mm. but you think that you'll still still change yeah things could still change i mean i just yeah. can't say we never we're going to continue you know to stay together until we drop dead i just think you know life isn't you can't make those predictions i'm not expecting mm. it to change i'm not i don't think it will change but who knows what's going to happen? Who mm. knows? And that's why, you know, the unpredictability comes in. Yeah. And that's what you think as well? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. You can't, you can't really know permanently into the future. Mm. And you don't have a secret plan to run off with a floozy, though, do you? <sighs> no. But then you, we never know what floozies are like. Mm, that's true. And I know that Johnny Depp's still single, so there you go. Is he? I don't know. I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know. I don't know. And Prince mm. Charles's marriage is a bit rocky. So there's, oh, he's another potential, isn't he? He and Camilla are having problems. You can see yourself with Prince Charles. <laughs> no. He'd have to change. He'd have to. He'd have to get something done with his ears. I think. He'd have to do something about that. But look, he'd be willing to do it for me. He'd be willing. Get get your ears pinned back, I'd say. Chuck. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Nope. No, anything? not that I can think of. No. I wish I could be here in 40 years and interview you. If I want. <laughs> Maybe you will. Maybe I will. I'm not planning, I'm not planning to go anywhere. I'm staying around as long as I can. Love, Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The theme music is by Proletur. The interstitial music is courtesy of Poddington Bear. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is the last episode for 2017. If you'd like to get in touch with me during my break, you can do so at lovecamberapodcast at gmail.com or through Twitter at lovecbrpodcast. Bye for now and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.